Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. So we'll read it, and I'll put it in context, and then we'll uh, wrestle together as to what uh, Mark is teaching us. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, page 844 in the church Bibles. And when they, and the they are Jesus, Peter, James, and John, who had been up on the mountain where they had seen Jesus transfigured, when they came to the other disciples down in the valley, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes, that's the Jewish religious leaders, arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, let's pray together that God will speak to us from this extraordinary passage in Mark's gospel. Our Father, we pray that we will learn together as a church family this morning this vitally important lesson for the life of discipleship individually and corporately, the need to depend on the Lord Jesus in prayer. For what we are up against in this world is beyond our ability 
to affect or to change or to deal with. Help us to see what we're up against and to see the greater power of the Lord Jesus and so avail ourselves of the great and vital privilege of praying. And we pray these things in Jesus' strong name and for his sake. Amen. Now, this section of Mark's gospel, which runs from chapter 8, verse 31, through to chapter 10, verse 52, is all about the cost of following Jesus. And uh, the cost of following Jesus is a phrase that is synonymous with following Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus without cost. That's uh, Mark's uh, point. And he wants to make that quite clear to us that to every Christian, there is the call to deny self, that is the radical renunciation of self, self no longer on the throne, but Christ of my life, and a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me take you back to chapter 8, verse 34, where Jesus spells this out to all Christians, calling the crowd to him. In other words, he gets everybody to listen. He said to them, if anyone, anyone or everyone, there are no exceptions to this, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone wants to be a follower or a disciple, let them deny self, that is, give up self as the priority in life, and take up their cross and follow me. Now, that works itself out in all sorts of different ways. Somebody after the service last week was just talking to me about what it means to take up your cross in the life as a Christian. And they just remarked that it's, it's, it's often quite mundane. It's just living differently, living distinctively, living with an allegiance to Christ in a world where so few have that allegiance. It impacts everything. It impacts our conscience. It impacts our decisions. We have to tell people of Jesus, and we feel weak when we do that. It's everywhere. Jesus, in verses 35 to 38 of chapter 8, gives the logic as to why we should do this. And the logic basically is this, that with all of eternity ahead of us, the call to take up your cross and deny self in this brief span of years on earth is logically wise and the right thing to do for the sake of all eternity. What good is it for us to gain the whole world yet forfeit our souls? And then that striking verse at the end of chapter 8, verse 38 If you are ashamed of me, Jesus says, in this generation, in this world, I will be ashamed of you in eternity. Strong, strong comments. Now, the logic is persuasive, but what Peter, James, and John needed, not because they were the chosen three, but because they were the struggling three, Peter had just said, Jesus, you're not going to die. James and John want the best seats in glory. That's chapter 10. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain of transfiguration, where he is transfigured before them. And what they see in the person of Jesus is who he is, not just the one who will die, but the king of glory. They see Jesus in, his, in his, the glory of the returning king and the voice from heaven on the mountain, this is my son. In other words, look at him. He is the king of glory and listen to him. 
Listen to what? Listen to what he has just said. I'm going to have to die. Will you accept that? Chapter 8, verse 31. And are you willing to deny self and take up your cross and follow me? Look at Jesus in all his glory and listen to him. But I want us to keep these words, listen to him, in our minds as we come back down off the mountain of transfiguration, which is not how life normally is, into this valley that we read in 9, 14 to 29, into the world that is like the world we live in, which is the world of despair and destruction and the devil holding his sway and disappointment and disorder and chaos. That's the world we live in. And I want us to keep hold of Jesus' words, listen to me. Listen to me. And the key at the end of our passage is the disciples say, why couldn't we do anything? Why couldn't we do anything? And after all, Jesus had given them back in chapter 6 authority to drive out demons. Why couldn't we do it? Answer, because you cannot do anything in the life of faith as a church or an individual believer in your own strength. You cannot do anything without depending on the Lord in prayer. Now, it's not a sermon about prayer. It's a sermon about depending on the Lord. And of course, the acid test of dependence on the Lord is prayer. Prayer is when we get on our knees, physically as it were, or emotionally or spiritually, and say, I cannot do anything to affect a change in this circumstance. Please, Jesus, will you do something? And even if we are using our gifts, which are supernatural gifts to make progress in people's lives as we teach the Bible or whatever it is we do, or as we serve each other, or as we exercise hospitality, or as we do administration, they're all gifts in the Bible for the building up of the church. We must not and cannot do any of these things in our own strength because they are supernatural gifts from God. So we must depend on the giver, Jesus, all the time. And when you get that clear in our heads, then you realize that what we are up against is impossible for us to deal with. But the one who we pray to, the one who lives in us by his Spirit, is an extraordinarily powerful Savior who we can depend on in prayer. Now, let's look at this scene in Mark 9, verses 14 to 29 under the three headings, the absence of authority. Um, the scene that Mark describes is one of uh, disorder and uh, chaos. Let me just point you to some aspects of that. There's a great crowd, typically in Mark, the crowd symbolizes confusion, pressing, clamoring, demanding from Jesus. As one writer puts it, crowding out the Lord's priorities. So there's the crowd, the mass of humanity, 
rootless, searching, uneasy, fearful. And then there are the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, and these are timeless applications, arguing with the disciples. And their presence here is elsewhere is to oppose Jesus and His gospel ministry. Disputing, arguing, and contradicting are their principal activities as they seek to undermine the true gospel, what Jesus teaches. Jesus' inquiry as to the subject of their argument, verse 16, is not answered by the disciples or the religious leaders, but a voice from the crowd. And here's another example of how how real and authentic these eyewitness testimonies are. It's like Peter, who is the uh, eyewitness source behind Mark's gospel, turns to Mark, his scribe, and he says, when you talk about that episode after the transfiguration, make sure, Mark, you record that it wasn't somebody special who cried out from the crowd. It was just that broken man. I'll never forget, Peter says to Mark, that moment when this man cried out, Teacher, I brought my son to you. And Jesus, of course, was not there because he was up on the mountain. And of course, Jesus is not here, is he? Jesus is not with us in person. He's with us in a glorious way, as we'll see, but he's not physically here. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. A despairing father, his son's life destroyed, a desperate situation of human need. It's always extraordinary in the gospel books how the the eternal Son of God expresses principles to us for life and faith in the lives of ordinary families, ordinary people. Now, Mark wants us to reflect on this. He wants us to see, is this a picture of the world in which we live? Is the world in which we live a fallen and a broken and disordered world? The mass of humanity, fearful, running this way and that. Global panic. We're just in the middle of another one, and there will be another one, and there will be another one. Searching for answers, disputing and arguing and strife, disappointment and despair and broken lives and sadness. It struck me really powerfully over the past a couple of weeks as Joan was dying. Um, there were often times I was in her, her, um, with her um, and our family, but I'd often pass her window. It was the way I walked in and out to church. And, and I, I knew what was happening behind that window pane. And it's true that behind every door in this city, there is stuff. Behind every door in this church, there is stuff. And there are helpless fathers 
and mothers and children everywhere. The last time I preached on this, uh, I think we were sending, just to say that I don't preach on Mark all the time, only three times in 11 years. I think that's the limit. We were sending Jen right as she was before she became Jen Margots to Congo Brazzaville. And she stood up and she said, look, one of the wonderful things about Africa is there are no pretenses as to how things really are. There's an honesty as you face reality of, immortal of immortality. And therefore, an easier way in for the gospel. One of the ironies of, 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 of life and, and death is that yesterday we buried Joan. There was a little break in the weather. It was sunny. But that didn't disguise the fact that we were standing in a massive big graveyard. The graveyard is down in Morningside, and of course the walls are high enough you can't see in. And when you go in, all the gravestones are lying on the ground. You know, they've all had to be knocked down in case they fall on someone. And it's just a very, very visual picture of death and destruction. And now here's my question to you. Is that another world from the world we live in? Is that just a tiny little microcosm of the world or is that the destination of all humanity? Well, the answer is obvious. Now, what is the root problem with this boy. I think probably he would be sort of in his late teens. I think that's there's some evidence of that in the other Gospels. Mark wants us to see the root of his problem. Now, be really careful here. These physical symptoms are not always associated with what Mark associates them with here. Mark wants to make it quite clear that in this particular case, the root problem in this boy was that he was possessed by Satan or the devil. Behind it all, it seems here, the devil is holding the upper hand. And Mark's point is that in the disordered world in which we live still, there is at the root of it evil power. The cause of this boy's awful physical symptoms are demon possession. And the presence of evil and the demonic is very overt in the gospel narratives. And that is because in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the divine, the demonic is unmasked and riles against Jesus, opposing him in his kingdom. And the New Testament makes it clear to us that in the world in which we live, that world is in the grip of spiritual forces of evil. And behind it all, the devil, the spiritual being who is the architect of evil. And that is why we read in Ephesians. And remember, Ephesians is written after the cross where Christ defeated Satan once and for all. But the consummation of that victory is not until he returns. In Ephesians, Paul ends with these words, finally, mark this, the last thing I'm going to say, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 
put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not engage as a church in mission. Our gospel partners do not engage in mission. We do not engage in spiritual growth and discipleship. Devoid of spiritual forces of evil all around us. So the Bible says, 1 Peter, be sober-minded and alert. You adversary, the devil prowls aloud like a roaring lion. And then these very striking words in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is speaking about those who do not see and understand who Jesus is. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, that's what we're up against. Yesterday in the, the funeral, I'm sorry I'm talking about funerals, but that was dominating me yesterday, and you get a passage like this today. You stand in a graveyard, and you lower a body into the ground. And why is it? And how is it possible that people at that moment are not confronted by their mortality? And as I hold out Jesus Christ as the answer, how is it that people do not see? Because in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, there is a greater power that can make the blind see. There is a greater power at the graveside that can open their eyes. But it's not my words. It's not the memory of someone who has died. It is the power of Jesus that I must access by depending on him. For it is beyond any of us to achieve that. Now, uh, Jesus' words in verse 19 sum up the scene of faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, these words are sweeping in their compass to the vast crowd that they would see Jesus for who he is. Yes, to the religious leaders who will not listen to him, but I think also to the twelve, his future apostles, and to us, not as a rebuke. Jesus isn't rebuking us here. He's saying to us, Luke, I need you to see the world you're in. I need you to understand what you're up against when you do evangelism. I need you to understand what the devil is trying to do in sowing doubts in your mind and wrestling with your conscience and prompting you and tempting you to sin. I need you to understand what you are up against. Because if you do, you will know you need me. And you will ask me for help. And you will depend on me. Now, verses 20 to 27, shift tack from the absence of authority to the presence of authority. An omnipotent Lord who overcomes uh, evil. 
Now, Mark's gospel has a reputation for being the short and action-packed gospel. That's wholly unfair. It is shorter than the others. But this episode that uh, Mark records here, 9.14 to 29, is also in Matthew and Luke. And in Mark, it's two and a half times longer than the equivalents in Matthew and Luke. And the additional material is taken up with, with Jesus ratcheting up how awful this boy's condition is by ratcheting up how evil the devil is. So let me just show you verse 17. It robs him of speech. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And when he foams and grinds, his teeth become rigid. Verse 20, uh, the spirit convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? The man said, the father from childhood, it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. It's trying to kill him. But now in this episode, very, very powerfully and viscerally, the devil's power comes up against divine power. Verse 5, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, literally running towards him, he didn't want the crowd to witness the actual demonstration of power because he wants them to hear his primary message of forgiveness. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to you, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. There's a true miracle instantaneous and complete. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But of course, he is not dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Chaos displaced by order. Human dignity restored. Now, uh, the three Greek verbs here, took, lifted, and arose, are exactly the same three verbs as in the description of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, where he took and lifted and she arose. Mark's point is the power needed to dislodge Satan is the same order of power that is needed to raise the dead. Nothing short of resurrection power. And right from the start of Mark, we've seen that Christ's ministry is the destruction of the devil's kingdom. It is why Jesus came. And salvation in Christ is deliverance from the dominion of darkness, the state of unbelief, to the dominion of light, the state of belief. And woven into Mark's description of the deliverance of this boy is the father's journey from unbelief to faith. And Mark's point surely is that Jesus confronts the devil both in the demon possession of the Son and in the Father's unbelief. The root cause is the same. Both Father unbelief and Son demon possession are in the devil's grip. Now, the events described here are, of course, before the cross, and with Jesus' death on the cross, the devil's grip on the world has been broken. He has been defeated. He will fight on until Jesus returns. But his defeat is guaranteed. But he will fight on until Jesus returns. Now, when you look at this, when you look at this description of unbelief to faith, there is no way on earth that you or I can persuade anyone, anyone to move from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. It happens when you speak the gospel. But that's all that you see on the surface. It happens when the Spirit of God 
opens blind eyes. It always takes a miracle to see. And in the Christian life, with all the struggles and battles we face, while the devil is ultimately defeated, he will fight against us. He will seek to take us down. He will seek to cause us to doubt. He will seek to discourage us. He will seek to disconnect us from the life of faith, a living church. And we need the Lord Jesus with us. And one of the great blessings of being in a church is that we need each other to pray for us when we are struggling. All over the church, people are praying for those who are struggling, that God would keep them, that God would protect them. Very often as elders, we, I'll come to the elders' meetings and I'll say, look, I, these, I would often use this phrase, people are like sand through our fingers. There's nothing we can do to keep them. There's nothing we can do to hold on to them. Or people who are going through a terminal illness and they will die. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can do ourselves. Yes, we can be with them. Yes, we can encourage them. But what they need and who they need is not us, but Jesus and his power and his grace and his peace. When Joan was dying just before her death, I asked her the question, are you frightened, Joan? And she said, yes, that was real, of dying, but not of death. And who does, this is an extreme example of normal life, who does she need in the valley of the shadow of death to take away her fear, me or Jesus? Now it's a no-brainer. And so we prayed together there, like here, that the Lord Jesus would be her shepherd and be with her, and he was. And it's that power and that order of power you need in the crises of life, but in the day-to-day -day journey of life, when the battles we face are not that extreme, but just the battles with sin and doubt and discouragement and the grist to the mill of just living in an ordinary family. Or the pain of loss that some of you have every day in your life. It's Jesus you need. And so Mark closes with these vital words for Christian discipleship and a church's discipleship. This little private seminar with the disciples, verses 28 and 29, they say to Jesus, why could we not do it? What a great, great question that is. Why could we not do it? After all, he had given the gift to them to cast out demons. Why could we not do it, Jesus? Because they were not doing it in his strength and in his power. They had forgotten the giver of the gift. Let me apply it to myself. You can preach your heart out. You can preach eloquent sermons because the gift of the gab is the easiest bit in ministry. The hardest bits is daily dependence on God through prayer to take the words you speak and anoint them with his power. like baptism. 
what did John the Baptist say? All I can do is get you wet. It is Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We might give each other good tips and advice for the journey through the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus is a whole different proposition to be with you. Now, this is not a sermon. If I was younger, I would have said it. The application of the sermon has come to the prayer meeting. No, 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 no. I suspect that people who don't come to prayer meetings habitually are often the people that pray the most. I suspect that people who come to prayer meetings are sometimes the people that pray the least outside of the meetings. I don't really mind. It's not about that. It's about a life that recognizes the reality of the world that we are in and the spiritual forces of evil behind it, and a world and a life that recognizes the reality of the omnipotence of Jesus and avails themselves individually or corporately of the power of Christ through prayer. Daily dependence on the Lord for all things. That's Mark's first lesson in his school of Christian discipleship, and it's a very good one and a very needful one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we will grasp and understand the reality of the world that we are in and the reality of the devil's grip on people's lives. And even as Christian people, the devil's grip on our lives still as he seeks to discourage us and break us down and tempt us and convince us that God does not love us in Christ. And Lord, we pray that daily we will depend on you, depend on the Messiah King, the Lord Jesus, conscious of his majestic power and authority, conscious that the gifts you have given us we cannot exercise in our own strength ever, even for a moment. Help us, Lord, to be men and women and a church family that daily depends on Jesus and his omnipotent power through prayer. Help us not to mishear this. It's not about attending meetings or having a quiet time as much as it is about a conscious awareness of the reality of what's going on and a wonderful, wonderful grasping of the truth that we can, through prayer, access the almighty power of the risen King. Lord, help us to see this and help us to live this way. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to bear with one another. And help us to lean hard on Jesus. For his sake. Amen.